0: Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream Podcast. Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream Podcast with listeners in 200 countries. I'm Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is the superb British actor, Jeremy Swift, who has shot to worldwide fame as Leslie Higgins, the communications director for the AFC Richmond Football, or soccer club as we say, in the hit series, Ted Lasso, for which he was nominated for an Emmy Award. And he was clever enough to get his real-life wife, actress Mary Roscoe, to play his screen wife in the series. This I truly admire. Before Lasso, Jeremy was in films such as Mary Poppins Returns, Oliver Twist, which was directed by Roman Polanski, and Gosford Park, which was directed by Robert Altman. He'd worked with the National Theater and in the West End, and he was in Downton Abbey. How about that? And on top of all of this, Jeremy is a musician too. He's got a new single and a new album. We'll play the single in the Songfest portion of this interview, and we're going to talk about all the rest of his career. And as you know, I like to feature a song of mine in every episode, underneath the introduction and at the end, and I always try to make the song relevant somehow to my guest. And in this instance... I have chosen my version, my reimagined version of a song by Cream called I'm So Glad, which is off the new album that I just put out. It's a live album called It's Alive. Why did I choose this song? Well, with all the successes that this man has had, he must be glad, is the way I figured. Oh, I figured that this works. So, Jeremy Swift, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby. Thank you, baby. Thank you, Robert. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wow, that's
1: a great song, by the way, by Cream. I love Cream.
0: Yeah. They were one of my favorites for sure. Jack Bruce was, of course, the bass player in Cream. I'm a bass player. He was my idol growing up. So I do look to a lot of their stuff. So I got to ask you, I mean, Ted Lasso has got to feel for you I don't know, like manna from heaven, okay? You work your whole career, you have so much success, and then this thing hits and you're on top of the world. What was it like? It takes a while to um, accustomize yourself
1: to such a large success at my time of life because I've been in many things that I thought would be successful and I thought were great as well and then weren't successful and the public didn't take to them for whatever reason so there's a cynic inside of me which who is now just starting to slide away to fade away saying nah nah this isn't this is isn't going to happen <laughs> because I've had you know 40 years of that really so I am just getting to grips with the fact that it is such a phenomena. You know, the same was was with Downton Abbey uh, to a certain extent, but I came in halfway through that. I wasn't part of the named cast as I am with Ted Lasso. And it was going to America in particular that I felt an on-off switch happen. And that was when we went to the screening and it was during the pandemic of the first two episodes for season two, because we couldn't really go out for season one and do any PR. And we were driven to, it was actually on the, um, what's it called? The Pacific um, Creative Building in LA, and we were on the roof. they made it out like a football pitch. So it was all cool to be outside. And when I got out the car at the other end, there was like a grandstand of about 500 people who all went nuts. And I've never experienced that before. And I, I just thought, ah, I think my life, <laughs> I think my life has changed. Yeah, you became a rock star overnight, huh? <laughs> overnight. Um, I do still think that everything is transient. Everything is temporary. But I appreciate this period
0: of my life very much. Really do. All right. Tell me the truth. Did you think that Ted Lasso was going to be that big hit? Or did it surprise you and the rest of the cast?
1: It, it surprised us that it was at the level that it has become, certainly. And I think it would be um, it would be self defeating and possibly narcissistic to think that something is definitely going to be so big. And uh, you know, uh, it would be unrealistic. You know, uh, and as I say, I have had a lot of experience of thinking this is really gonna take off. You know, In the when I was in my thirties, I, I led a sitcom and I was so excited when I got it that, you know, I burst into tears. And then me and my wife, we rang everybody and we were so excited. It was dropped after one season. <laughs>
0: That's the way it goes,
1: right? Yeah, it was a bit of a scar, really. You know, so um, and it, hap- it You know, I'm not alone in 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 having had that happen to me. It's happened to you know
0: many many people.
1: Um, so I'm I've always been uh, cautious. So um...
0: <laughs> that's probably a good way to be. There's a story about Seinfeld that you know it took I don't know more than one season for Seinfeld to catch on. And, of course, this was all pre-internet. Nowadays, there's so much competition on so many streaming services. I wonder to what extent a show can really take its time to find its legs, or does it have to hit immediately?
1: Oh, that's so true. Um, I think you, you may be right. The things that have really taken off, I mean... You know, the succession that was really powerful from the get-go, wasn't it? And like The Last of Us at the moment. I mean, I think that's been recommissioned, but that's so so powerful and a little bit unexpected because when you have something that's taken from a video game, it's not always going to work. But you know, that was elevated somewhat that that script and that um, that that cast and the direction was. So um, yeah, I think I think you may be right, Robert. I think there's. Um, yeah, it's gotta have you've got to have that impact from the get-go.
0: So I'm just curious. I always thought when they do the first season of something like Ted Lasso, they've got it all planned out. They know what the beginning, middle, and end is gonna be. And then it becomes a gigantic hit and they get re-upped for the second season. Are they scrambling at that point to kind of figure out what's the arc and this idea of the show gonna be in that second season? Or do they have that already planned out?
1: I don't know for sure, but there has been lots of talk from the creatives about arcs. I certainly didn't really have one, or I wasn't told about one. A few of the other actors I've I've, I've read that you know have said I was told you know at the beginning that this was the direction you know like Nick Mohammed, this is where I'd go. I I, I didn't you know what to a certain extent. Leslie Higgins didn't really have a storyline or an arc but he was there as stability because not every character can run around having romantic issues having divorces and uh, or career crises or panic attacks there has to be somebody in there who is the ballast you know that's right it took me a season and a half to realize that actually that's what my role was
0: you were the adult in the room <laughs> yeah
1: absolutely.
0: all right, so everybody's asking, I gotta ask the question, therefore, is there going to be a spin off? Is there going to be a Leslie Higgins show? My instinct
1: says no, I'm afraid because um <sighs> spinoffs aren't you know renowned for being very good, are they? There's only really phrase here, and there may be some others that I haven't thought of, but I think that we just have to accept that that <laughs> that bunch of shows, those three seasons, that's probably it. And you know, you kind of got a season four impregnated in season three because they were they were a good deal longer on average, the the episodes. but i i don't I don't really know. Nobody has said that there will be any more or that there won't be any more. Of the show, and I can't outguess them. I just can't outguess.
0: You know, it was interesting to me. I, I was a, an avid fan of the show. Uh, the first season was great. Second season was great. Third season was a little different, in my opinion, because there was that dip, if you will, an emotional dip in the middle, and then you guys came roaring back at the end. And I know that you're you're not the writer of the show, but I found it to be, you know, kind of a different presentation in that season three. Oh, did you? Um, everybody's got a different take on it. Uh, for me, it
1: certainly got going at such a speed; it seemed in a mega stride. And when I saw the first two episodes screened in LA, the audience were onto every nuance, every raised eyebrow of every character. And then, and and I thought, these are people who've watched it loads of times and really appreciate it. Personally, you know, maybe I'm just too close to it, but I just thought it was a sensational season. And it went, as always, in different directions, uh, surprised you, and I think it had emotional impact. It didn't sort of do things that people kind of, you know, wanted, like a a romance between Ted and Rebecca and all that kind of thing. You know, come on, that was never gonna happen. uh, but I, I thought, I thought it was great. I, I, I really, really loved it.
0: Well, it was great. It was a great show, a great series, a great everything. I want to compliment you again. I don't know how you got your wife in the show, but that was a brilliant move. You want to talk about that for a second?
1: Surely, yeah. Um, it wasn't. Uh, I, I don't have that creative control.
0: Come on, uh, take. Just- I want you to take credit for this. All right, she's going <laughs> to listen to this podcast. <laughs> um. My wife had been
1: in for a few roles. There was a couple of things going on. I thought, what's the background of Higgins? And I suggested in a letter to Joe Kelly, one of the creators, that you know that Higgins had a toxic wife who was lurking around the football ground, wanting with some grievance or some divorce papers or something like that. Not knowing at the time. That really the first season was about divorce. And there were two central characters who were, you know, that had happened to and was going to happen to. So they, they, of course, wanted to do the opposite and make it more harmonious. And Mary had been in for a couple of parts. In fact, I think she went in and she said, Gosh, I read for four parts. And I said, What were they? And you know, she, you know, one was somebody in the in the crowds and one was old lady. I was like, oh my God. I never. <laughs> I know we're ancient, but you do not look old. And then um, Bill, our executive producer, he called me uh, during the shooting of the season uh, one, episode four, and said, we've seen your wife. We think she's great. And we think, um, you know, she should play Higgins' wife. And it's going to be a really loving relationship. And you're going to have a bunch of kids. And I was like, wow. Um, Trying to be cool, because he's really cool. And then I went home. And Mary, as usual, had, you know, a story, a bunch of stories about the day that she and I just had to, without being sexist, just say, you have to stop talking. You have to stop talking because I have something that's going to top everything, whatever you say, you know. And um, and then she just
0: was gobsmacked. So you delivered the news to her. Is that the idea? I did. Yeah, yeah. Ah, that was well done. Okay, very well done. (laughs) You get the credit that way. (laughs) Hi, everybody. I'm Robert Miller, your host. As you know by now, I'm a professional musician in addition to hosting this Follow Your Dream podcast. In fact, I just released my 13th album, all since I followed my dream after I turned 60. The album is called It's Alive, and it's a live recording by my band, Project Grand Slam, featuring 13 of our greatest hits recorded at festivals in Pennsylvania and Serbia. The reviewers have called it a masterpiece and an instant classic. I introduced this album through a podcast episode, which has now been downloaded by thousands of listeners from over 120 countries, which shows the power and worldwide reach of this podcast. When I began the podcast, I had no idea where it would go, but here we are just over two years later and the podcast is ranked in the top 1% with listeners in 200 countries. It's been a joy ride for me, my guests, and for my thousands of listeners. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast so you get each episode when it airs and you must visit our website at follow to check out all of our episodes, our famous guests, and much more. I want to thank you for listening and keep on rocking. All right. So let's talk about the rest of your career because you've had an amazing career and and you've been in film, you've been on uh, you know the stage. Tell us a little bit about some of the highlights that come to your mind for the rest of your career.
1: You mean for the for the the, the more the, recent the
0: non-Ted Lasso side the of no, your career?
1: The oh well, it's a long. Remember that that was remember it was it's a, a long time, time ago. I you don't... know,
0: you were out there as a working actor. You know, remember that time. Oh, my Lord. Well, you
1: know, there was a lot of uh, non-working too. You know, my, I didn't really do any TV or anything and, uh, until my early 30s. I think I did, I did a couple of films, but I mostly did theatre. I got a lot of theatre jobs because I played the violin and they wanted a cheap muso in the cast. So I'd say, yes, my lord, it is true. And then spend, you know, another two and a half hours scraping away on the fiddle. Then I started to get more TV in my, uh, in my 30s, more films. Um, yeah, I, I had, uh, I had some, some good comedy roles in British TV. I nearly had... Um, I, did a, I did this um, series called Blind Men, uh, which, did, which did one series... And uh, they wanted me to go out and do the pilot for it in America because they said that I was as important as the writing, but I couldn't go because I was already doing another job. And that happened twice. So I could have been doing something in America a lot longer ago (laughs) than I am now. Um, And then I did more films. I worked with Robert Altman, which was really, really cool. I completely adored him. I think he was a genius, and I think it's still a great film, Gosford Park. And, uh, yeah, I've worked with some really amazing people. Um, Roman Polanski
0: um, and, um, yeah, the Wachowski sibling. Well, let me ask you this. Before the Ted Lasso thing, did you have to audition for these films and other parts, or, or were they just coming to you and saying, we want you, you're it?
1: Oh, no, I went up for them. Yeah, no, I had to go up for castings.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm assuming post Ted Lasso, you're going to be getting all of the stuff coming in over the transom and you'll be sitting back saying, well, I'll take that one. Maybe I'll take this one.
1: That is true. I have had straight offers for films I, um, without having to do anything. And I'm supposed to be doing, I can't really talk about them too much, but two leads in American independent comedies this fall. Uh, so yes, it has changed in that way.
0: Fantastic. All right. So tell me about the music part of your life. You've got a new album. And tell me a little bit, have you been a musician all your life or did this come to you later? And uh, give us that kind of background on Jeremy Swift.
1: Yeah, um, long before I did, well, not long before I did drama. I started doing drama when I was 11, really. Um, but I, when I was about seven or eight, I started learning instruments. My parents were both music teachers. My dad... You know, taught the piano and they had choirs rehearsing underneath, you know, our, our bedrooms, my sister-in-law's bedrooms, which, you know, woke us up. We were very cross about that. But we, you know, it was a slightly arty family. We did all sorts of things like, do you remember um, plastic craft, enamel craft? Did you ever have those things when you were a kid? I
0: did not, no. <laughs> we were always making stuff. You don't mean model airplanes and things like that, do you? Oh, we did
1: that as well, yeah. No, but you know okay. you'd get this- you get these kits and you'd sort of like put like a sixpence into a little, you know, sort of mold and pour plastic. on It stunk, really. It was, you know, health and safety You would not have, that could not exist in this day. Yeah, do it now. Huh? No way. And uh, my dad also, um, he used to get a magazine called Practical Electronics and um, he would get send away for circuits and we'd build up a a circuit board from resistors and capacitors and transistors and things like that. And we'd make up effects uh, stuff really, you know, um, you know, ring modulators and phase machines and all that kind of thing. Um, So I was, I got into um, the production, you know, sort of recording and that sort of world as, as well as playing the violin and the piano when I was a kid. And my dad liked all that stuff, too. And he showed me how to make tape loops. We had about nine tape recorders at one point, you know, when I was about 12 or 13. So I sort of learned how to plug them together and, um, and, and multi-track in a very, very basic way. Well,
0: your father must have been very hip if he was teaching you how to do tape loops, okay?
1: He was very hip, yeah, yeah.
0: All right. So you picked two of the hardest careers you could possibly have to be an actor and to be a musician. <laughs> Um, Were your parents encouraging you in both of these fields? Oh, no, no,
1: um, no. It was only because I didn't really do well with my A-levels, which is what you need to get into university and all that sort of thing, because, you know, I discovered girls, basically. So I didn't do any studying. So I, but I did get into two or three drama schools. So they were a bit like, well, you better do that then, aren't you? So, uh yeah, that's how it, it came to be. I think they'd much rather I did, you know, a BA in in English or something like that.
0: Yeah, parents always want their kids to have a stable kind of income. And when you're in the arts, stable is not the word that you would probably use. Too right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. But you've proven them all wrong. That's the important thing.
1: It's only taken half a decade, half a century rather.
0: <laughs> hey. It's not how you start it's how you end okay good for you cool okay so what's next on the plate for you in your life at work you know in the arts what do you want to do you want to do another you want to do movies you want to do tv you want to sit back and play the violin in a broadway show what would you like to do <laughs> uh,
1: well there are a few things going on um i was i was offered a movie which i'm going to do in august um playing a bishop on my birthday this week and i've also written a play and it seems like there's a theater interested so hopefully that you know these things take a long time that will hopefully that might happen next year and um yeah i i did a film for disney in spring this year it's just a, a kind of kids film of course it being disney um which was a lot of fun and i played um, principal merlin in the film descendants 4 the rise
0: of red what did you do in Mary Poppins Returns? What was your part there?
1: Oh, I played, I played, I think he's called Hamilton Gooding. And he was a very nasty lawyer type who wanted to uh, basically evict <laughs> the, uh, the Banks family from their house because they, they were bereaved and hadn't paid their rent properly. Uh, so he was, uh,
0: it was, you know, it was so enjoyable to play a sort of... Play a nasty guy, huh?
1: Casually cruel creep.
0: <laughs> now, this was the film that had Dick Van Dyke in it. Am I correct? You are correct. And did you did you have any chance to work with Dick Van Dyke?
1: I was in a scene with him that we I was, didn't have any lines from that particular scene, but I was there to witness him tap dancing
0: on a table. Well, I remember that scene. Uh, that man. Oh wow. Is that crazy? How did he do that? Okay. He just,
1: when he rehearsed, he had a couple of hands up to to do it. And I thought, wow, I don't know whether he does necessarily need those, but yeah, he, 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 and then I saw him do it on the day and he, he just stepped up there.
0: Wow. Was it like one take that he did it in?
1: I can't remember, to be honest. I don't think it was more than two. Certainly no. Uh, uh, Rob Marshall was, so careful about how he used him, and um, and and very very generous and loving about how he presented him um, in the in you know uh, it was it was really really touching you know I, I saw that film I'm old enough to have seen that film when it the original when it came out right and I've worked of course with Maggie Smith and you know a lot of legendary people when I was younger with Omar Sharif. I was in a play with him. But seeing Dick Van Dyke, it was incredibly magical. It was like a, you know, a sort of 5D experience or something. It was just slightly surreal.
0: He's like a national treasure. And you're right. The fact that he starred in the original so many years earlier. And, of course, he was a big sitcom star in the United States. And at his age, at 94 or whatever it was, for him to be not only doing the part but be dancing in the film, that was crazy
1: yeah and i remember on his when he'd done on his and he was walking off back to his dressing room from the set he said if you got any more if there are any other jobs just let me know (laughs) i just thought (laughs) if ever thus being an actor will till till we go to the grave they'll always be like what's next
0: that's great all right listen before we finish here i gotta do this it's corny as heck but i gotta ask you can we do a little Diamond Dogs? Yeah. A little howl. Yeah. Start it off, baby. Yeah. <laughs> all right. For anybody who doesn't know what we just did, you got to watch Ted Lasso. We have been speaking here with Jeremy Swift. This has been a fantastic interview. I really appreciate all the things that you've done. And you've been a big star. You're now at the top of Mount Olympus. I want to wish you the best going forward and all the things that you do. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. How lovely. What an absolute pleasure, Robert. Thank you. All right. We're going to listen now to the song that we started off the podcast with. It's my reimagined version of a song by Cream called I'm So Glad. I want to thank you all for listening. And we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at Robert at And you can hear more from his band at Project and at the PGSstore.com.